You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Russia and Europe will invade Israel. It's a very bold claim to make. When Russia, about a year ago, was amassing troops on the border of Ukraine, some people said, Russia is going to invade Ukraine. But other people said, no, keep calm. Look, they're probably not going to invade. No one really knew except for Putin and and his cronies. And as we know now, they they did invade. As far as I'm aware, there's no uh, Russian troops or European troops Uh, amassing themselves on the border of Israel. So what therefore would motivate the Christadelphians to make this bold claim that Russia and Europe will invade Israel? Well, the answer is Bible prophecy. Uh, The the Christadelphians are Bible students and therefore we have a keen interest in Bible prophecy. And the Christadelphians have been making this claim that Russia and Europe will invade Israel. Israel for over 170 years and I hope tonight to explain to you the uh, basis for this claim. At the foundation of our belief in Bible prophecy is the belief that there's a God who's created the heavens and the earth and who influences the affairs of this world. We believe that God has revealed his message to us in the Bible and that the Bible contains messages of things that are going to happen in the future, that is, prophecies. So we'll start with the basics. What does the Bible claim to be? Well, here's a passage from the Bible, Genesis 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So these are the first words recorded in the Bible. And as you can see, the Bible claims to record the words and actions of God himself. Here's another quotation from the Bible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect Truly furnished unto all good works. <clears throat> this passage is from the New Testament scriptures and was written by a man called the Apostle Paul, who was one of the followers of Jesus Christ in the first century. When he refers to all scripture here, he's really talking about the Old Testament scriptures from which we've read this evening, the prophet Ezekiel. The Bible is split into two parts, the Old and the New. And the book of Ezekiel is from the old. Now the Bible is clear that God didn't sit down with pen and paper and write the Bible. Human beings wrote the Bible with the writing implements of their day. But they were inspired by God. And the word inspiration means divinely breathed in. God's power was breathed in, as it were, by the people who wrote the Bible and caused them to write the things that God wanted them to reveal. That's the Bible's claim. Here's another quote 
For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the writers of the Bible were motivated, they were inspired, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the Bible. And one of these holy men of God was the prophet Ezekiel, who we'll consider this evening. For example, in Ezekiel 38 verse 1, which we read tonight, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, and then the uh, prophecy. So the word of God came to Ezekiel under this inspiration, and he wrote the prophecy, which which I hope to explain this evening. There's a problem, though. And that is that anyone can claim to be inspired. Anyone can write a book and claim that it's inspired. Just because you read something doesn't mean it's true. That's that's a good thing to understand, especially when you're looking on the internet. We need evidence to validate the words of of anything, um, including the words of Ezekiel and indeed the words of the Bible. As Christadelphians, we believe that the evidence for the Bible is fulfilled Bible prophecy. Things that were prophesied that have actually come to pass gives us confidence that other things that are prophesied will also come to pass. And I would like to share with you a prophecy that Ezekiel gave, which has been remarkably fulfilled as a basis for then talking about a prophecy which has yet to be fulfilled, the one we read tonight in Ezekiel chapter 38. So the The fulfilled prophecy that I'd like to explain to you concerns the modern-day restoration of the nation of Israel. And to set the background for understanding this prophecy, which incidentally is in the chapter before we read, uh, before the one we read tonight, Ezekiel chapter 37, to set the background, I need to give you a rundown of the history of the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel has its roots in a man called Abraham. Abraham was the forefather of the Jews, and he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, about 2,000 years BC. So you can see Ur of the Chaldees there, uh, where Abraham lived. And God gave to Abraham an instruction and also a promise. And here it is. The Lord had said unto Abraham, or Abram as he was then called, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So that's the instruction. Get out of your house, get from your father's uh, house and kindred, unto a land that I will show thee. And here's the promise. And I will make of thee a great nation. So Abraham was, in fact, obedient to this instruction of God. And he left Ur of the Chaldees and made a journey across to the land of Canaan which is like the, the area of modern-day Israel. It was called Canaan back then. When he was in this land of Canaan, God gave to Abraham another promise. Genesis 13. The Lord said unto Abraham, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northwards, southwards, eastward, and westward. For all the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. So Abraham's in the land of Canaan, and God says, look in every direction, all the land that you see, I'm going to give it to you, and not just to you, 
to your seed, which means his descendants, and not for a short time, forever. So Abraham stood there. He looked north, south, east and west. All that land God was going to give to him. That is the promise. And this promise was reiterated in Genesis chapter 15. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So there we get some further definitions of the boundaries of this land promised to Abraham. So it's from the Nile, the river of Egypt, to the river Euphrates. So you can see that land in between was promised to the man Abraham, the forefather of the Jews. Well, Abraham had a son called Isaac, and Isaac had a son called Jacob, and Jacob was really the forefather of, of the Jews because his name was changed to Israel. And he had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. So Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons of Jacob did not inherit the land that was promised to Abraham. Jacob died in Egypt and so did his 12 sons and in fact the descendants of uh, the sons of, of Jacob were in captivity for 400 years in the land of Egypt. They ended up as slaves and during that time they grew from being a nation of well, from, from being a family of tens of people to a nation of, of thousands of people. And the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, describes how God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the land that was promised to Abraham. But while they were in the land that was promised to Abraham, they couldn't really be described as a great nation. Because remember, God had promised to them um, that they would be a great nation. I will make of thee a great nation, says God to Abraham. The Jews struggled to maintain control of the land. They're constantly fighting their enemies around them and just, just, just to maintain their existence there. The greatest the nation ever got was under the rule of David and Solomon. So they lived at about 1000 BC. And especially under the rule of Solomon, the, the nation of Israel had other, other nations paying, it, paying tax to it. After Solomon, everything went pear-shaped for the nation of Israel. They had civil war. They, they split into, into two, two nations, the kingdom of Israel in the north and the kingdom of Judah in the south. And the kingdom in the north, the kingdom of Israel, they were destroyed by the Assyrian Empire and they were wiped out, never to be seen again. That was about 710 BC. 120 years later, the southern kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They weren't fully wiped out. They were, they were taken as captives. Now, this website, travellinginisrael.com, has this uh, excellent infographic of the timeline of the land of Israel. So we'll just go through it now to get a picture of, of how the, uh, what, what the history is. So there we have ancient Israel, the reign of King Solomon, 
that was really the, the zenith of, of the nation of Israel. And as I said, the Babylonians came and took the Jews into captivity and destroyed the temple that they had to uh, worship God. After the Babylonians came the Persians. The Persians conquered the Babylonian Empire and then the Jews became subject to the Persians. And under Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia, he allowed the Jews and actually other, other nations too to return to their homelands and re-establish their, their worship. So the Jews rebuilt the temple and were allowed to worship there. However, they were under Persian rule, under Persian control as, as a vassal state. Well, the famous man Alexander the Great conquered the Persians and then we have the Hellenistic era as it shows on the infographic. And the land of Israel after the death of Alexander the Great really became a battleground for two uh, different Greek empires. There was one in, based in Egypt called the Ptolemaic Kingdom and there in the north in the area of Syria, there was a Seleucid Greek Empire. And these two empires had many battles between, between them and Israel was like the battleground, so they really suffered under that time. Eventually, the Seleucid Empire was victorious over the Ptolemaic Empire, and so the Jews were then subject unto them. But in 167 BC, King Antiochus, the Seleucid king, said to the Jews, I forbid you to practice your worship. And the Jews did not like that at all, so they rebelled. And remarkably, they were, they were somewhat victorious over King Antiochus. And so the Hasmonean dynasty came into being, where they were semi-autonomous from the Greeks. Then came the Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, the Jews were subject to the Romans, and that's the setting for the New Testament scriptures. The Jews are subject under the Romans. And this is when Jesus, of course, was, was alive. And the Jews eventually revolted against the Romans in like uh, AD 66 to 74, as it has there on the chart. And so the, the consequence was that the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple they destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed their temple, and scattered the Jews throughout the Roman Empire. So all throughout Europe and, and North Africa. So that was the end of the Jews. But it wasn't the end. Amazingly, in modern times, the nation of Israel has been re-established. For 1,800 years, the land of Israel was controlled by the Arab Caliphate, the Crusader, Crusaders, the Mamluks, the Ottoman Empire, the British had some control, and then the State of Israel was re-established and is now back in control of the Jewish people. So there we have a summary of the history of this nation of Israel. It all started with a promise, as we've seen, that God gave to Abraham And implied in this promise that God gave to Abraham is the requirement for the descendants of Abraham to regain possession of the land of Israel should they lose it. And they did. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever, says 
God to Abraham. So if you're going to inherit a land forever and you lose possession of the land, for the promise to be fulfilled, you have to regain possession of the land. And that is what has happened for the Jews. The Jews lost possession, as I said, in AD 70. They were scattered throughout the world. And 1,800 years later, in 1948, they were proclaimed a nation. And the Jews are still coming back to the land today. Like with the war in Ukraine, Jews are pouring from Ukraine, heading back to their homeland, the land of Israel. So as Christadelphians, we believe that the establishment of the state of Israel is in fulfilment of the promises that God gave over 4,000 years ago, or about 4,000 years ago, to Abraham. Now the prophet Ezekiel, who we read from this evening, also prophesies about this return of the Jews to their land of Israel. Now the prophet Ezekiel prophesied about the time that the Jews were conquered by the Babylonians. And this is what Ezekiel 37 prophesies. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone. I will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all. They shall be no more two nations, like Israel and Judah. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. So this prophecy here has been partially fulfilled. The Jews are back in their own land. I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone. I will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. They're one nation in the land of Israel. But what, what is not fulfilled in this verse is the fact that they do not have one king to rule over them. And we believe that will be Jesus Christ in the future, but more on that later. Now this chapter, Ezekiel 37, has, if you read it in its entirety, has a vision full of a valley of dry bones. So here's a picture of some dry bones in a valley. And Ezekiel receives this vision, or you might even call it a nightmare. This This is what he sees. There was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. The skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. So that's the vision that that Ezekiel saw, these bones being resurrected. It would have been a, a horrible sight, to be honest. God interprets the dream. And tells, tells Ezekiel the interpretation. Then God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, our hope is lost. The Romans scattered them throughout their empire. And for 1,800 years they were lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. So after Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians, never again were they a sovereign nation in their land. And then under the Romans, as we've said, scattered. And it wasn't until 1948 that they were proclaimed 
a nation. So I've been explaining the history of the nation of Israel and how Ezekiel prophesies that this nation of Israel is going to be re-established. And we've seen that come to pass. And therefore we can have confidence in Ezekiel's other prophecies, which have not yet come to pass, such as the one we read in Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel 38 things of, speaks of things that are going to happen to the nation of Israel in the future. It's a prophecy waiting to happen. And this is where we get the, the title for tonight's presentation from Ezekiel 38. Russia and Europe will invade Israel. So let's talk about that now. Ezekiel 38 is really a description of an army that God is going to cause to come down against the nation of Israel and then God's response to that. So here's how it starts. And the word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel speaking, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech and Tubal, and then jumping down to verse 18. It will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. So Gog's a person. Gog is an evil guy. And we learn a few things about Gog in this passage. He's of the land of Magog. So he's from the land of Magog, wherever Magog is. We'll talk about that. He's the prince of places called Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. God is against Gog. And also, Gog is going to come against the land of Israel. So why is, why is the Lord God against Gog? Well, the answer is in verse 18. And it will come to pass at the same time when Gog comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, that my fury will show in my face. God is angry at Gog because they're coming against his land, the land that he promised to Abraham. All right, where does Gog come from? Well, we've already seen from the land of Magog, but there's another clue in verse 15. So reading from verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, On the day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? That's a rhetorical question. Yes, yes, they will know that they're dwelling safely. Then you, Gog, will come from your place out of the far north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So we learn that Gog is from the far north. So relative to the land of Israel, go north to identify where Gog is from. So you simply draw an arrow from Israel to the far north and it takes you through Turkey across the Black Sea to Russia 
So that, that, that's where Gog is from, or comes from the, the far north. Okay, what about the other clues that we saw? He's from the land of Magog. What's Magog? Well, Magog is an ancient place name. And the tricky thing about ancient place names is that they're ancient. And it's really hard to, to know with a high degree of certainty where that place actually was. So all we can do is go to the available historians and try and look for links and descriptions of these places. So Josephus, who was a uh, historian from the, the first century AD, uh, he has this to say about Magog. Magog founded those that from him were named Magogites. So that's fair enough. If, if I had people descend from me, then perhaps I could call them Danielites. But those who are but, but who are by the Greeks called Scythians. So the Greeks didn't call them Magogites, they called them Scythians, says Josephus. Who are the Scythians? Well, Scythians, if you look up the history books or, or just Wikipedia, this is what you learn. The Scythians were an ancient, eastern, Iranian, equestrian, nomadic people, led by a warrior aristocracy known as the Royal Scythians who primarily lived in the region corresponding to modern-day Ukraine and southern Russia, which was known as Scythia or Scythica after them, and who dominated the territory of the Pontic Steppe from approximately the 7th century BC until the 3rd century BC. So Ezekiel prophesied in like between the 5th and the 6th century, uh, or in the 6th century BC. So it's during this time. So there we have it. This area of Magog can be identified from these, uh, from history as the area of modern-day Ukraine and southern Russia. So on a map, I would say it's this sort of general region, the region of Magog, which is where Gog is said to have come from. All right, what about the next clue? He's the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So we have some more place names to identify. <coughs> Gesenius was a German uh, lexiographer, or someone who studies words, and he was a, a Bible scholar as well from, from the 1800s. Um, he, he was well respected. Um, and he wrote a lexicon about Hebrew words. He says that the, the Rosh refers to the Russians. It's a proper noun of a northern nation mentioned with Tubal and Meshach. Undoubtedly the Russians, says Jesenius in his Hebrew lexicon. What about Meshach? So the New Ungers Bible Dictionary has this to say about Meshach. In the records of Tiglath-Pileser I and Shalmaneser III, the land of Moscow, or Meshach, is mentioned and situated in the mountains on the northern borders of Assyria and bordering on Tabal, biblical Tubal, in the west. The Moshkai and 
Tiburoni are referred to by Herodotus as living in the mountains southeast of the Black Sea. So that's Meshach. And then Tubal. Tubal was, is recorded in the Bible as being one of the seven sons of Japheth. He is thought to have been a founder of the Tiburani, said by the scholiasts to have been a Scythian tribe. Now we've already seen the Scythians in reference to Magog. That's from the New Ungers Bible Dictionary. And Jesenius, again, says, properly named the Tiburani, a nation of Asia Minor dwelling by the Black Sea. So if we were to put these Rosh, Meshach and Tubal on a map, this is where I'd suggest they, they are Rosh, area of Russia, undoubtedly the Russians, says Jesenius, and Meshach and Tubal above Assyria by the Black Sea. Perhaps it could extend a bit more like into eastern Turkey as well. So then we have Russia, Rosh, Magog, southern Russia and Ukraine, Meshach, the area southeast of the Black Sea, and Tubal, uh, again in that same area. So we're starting to get a picture here about this evil guy called Gog. All the evidence points to the fact that this Gog character is the leader of a northern nation, the leader of Russia. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that it's, it's Putin, the current leader. It could be anyone, Putin or someone in the future who is a leader of, of this geographical area. Okay, so let's now learn more about this invasion that this evil guy called Gog is going to make. Verse 4. I will turn you around, says God, and put hooks into your jaws and lead you out with, with your army. Horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So Gog is not going to come down himself as one person. He's got an army. He has horses, horsemen, great company, bucklers, shields, all handling swords. It's the language of warfare well, and a language of an army. And he's not going to be just with his army. This is a confederacy. Persia, Ethiopia and Libya are with them. All of them with shield and helmet. So, so multiple armies from, from other, other nations. Goma and all its troops. The house of Tagama from the far north with all its troops. Many people are with you. So we have some more nations to identify. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya, Goma, Tagama. Where are these places? Well, we know where Persia is. Persia is fairly well accepted to be the area of modern-day Iran. <coughs> we know where Ethiopia and Libya are. Libya is there in uh, northern uh, Egypt, or northern Africa, I should say. Uh, Ethiopia is, is, is a bit south of where I've got it marked on the map, but evidence uh, there's evidence to suggest that the biblical Ethiopia was uh, north, more like in the area of um, modern-day Sudan. Oh, Sudan, I should say. But the tricky ones are Goma and Tagama. These, these are harder to identify. Tagama, Jesenius uh, suggests that it is uh, Armenia and, and sort of the region of around Turkey. 
goma is is quite difficult to identify. So Josephus in his Antiquity of the Jews, he says, For Goma founded those whom the Greeks now call Galatians, but were then called Gomerites. So the area of Galatia is the area of Turkey. And uh, Josephus is saying that someone called Goma founded the Gomerites, but they're now called Galatians. Galatian, they were called Galatians. Diodorus Siculus, who was an ancient Greek historian from the first century BC, identifies the original Galatia as being Gaul. So in the fifth century BC, which is a few hundred years after. Uh, Ezekiel prophesied, because he prophesied like 670 or something. So, um, yeah, a few hundred years after that, history records that the Gauls started to emerge as a nation in uh, Western Europe, in this area here, sort of to the uh, west and north of the Alps that sort of go across the top of, of uh, Italy. So while Ezekiel was prophesying, the Gauls were probably starting to emerge in this region. Seven, seven sons of Japheth are named. Gomer, that is, whom sprung, from whom sprung the Galatians, that is, the Gauls. This is Isidore of Seville in the Etymologies. Uh, and this person is a Spanish scholar and a Catholic saint from 560 AD. That's what he says. So apparently, when you read the history books, apparently some of the Gauls in Western Europe migrated east into uh, Greece, had some battles, uh, fought with Greece, and then also sort of went into the area of modern-day Turkey, which was called Galatia. So they, they migrated from that area into Galatia. Here's a quote from Wikipedia. The Galatians were descended from Celts who had invaded Greece in the 3rd century BC. The original settlers of Galatia came through Thrace under the leadership of Leo Garios and Leo... Norius in 278 BC. They consisted mainly of three Gaulish tribes, the Tectosages, the Trochmai, and the Tolai-Stobogai. I'm not a historian, I don't know how to say them properly. But there were also other minor tribes. In 25 BC, Galatia became a province of the Roman Empire, with Ankara as its capital. So it's quite difficult to identify with a high degree of certainty where this Goma is. But suffice to say, it seems possible, perhaps likely, that it refers to either the area of Turkey or the area of Western Europe, like France above the Alps. I tend to think it's more likely referring to the area of Western Europe, 
uh, because when Ezekiel prophesied, that's where this, these Gaulish people were. And it was until long after Ezekiel prophesied that they moved down into the area of modern-day Turkey. So then, let's put it on a map. Here's all the nations we've identified. We have Rosh, which is Russia, Magog, Ukraine, like some of Eastern Europe and Southern Russia, Meshach and Tubal there to the, to the east of the uh, Black Sea, Tagama, the area of Turkey, Persia, modern, modern Iran, Libya, Ethiopia, and Goma, the Western Europe. So what the Bible is telling us is that this evil guy called Gog from the land of Magog is going to come down and invade Israel. He, he's the chief prince of, of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So that the area of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, you can see he's the chief prince. And he's going to be confederate with these other nations, Persia, Libya, Ethiopia, Goma, Tagama. These nations are going to come against the land of Israel. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Yes, they will. Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. So the title of our presentation this evening is Russia and Europe will invade Israel. And Russia is clearly identified to be the homeland of this character Gog. The region of Magog is where Gog is from and includes some of Eastern Europe, like the area of Ukraine. One of the nations that are confederate with Gog is Goma, which is in possibly in Western Europe. So this is why we say that Russia and Europe will invade Israel. But there's other nations also included in this prophecy that will also invade Israel as confederate nations. So the reason we're certain about or confident uh, in the words of Ezekiel chapter 38 is because of the uh, prophecy in Ezekiel 37 that we have seen this evening. The nation of Israel are back in their land as the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 37, in fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. So we can have confidence that this prophecy is also going to come to pass, which is why we're so bold in, in, in stating that. But if Russia and Europe and other confederate nations are really going to invade Israel, what is going to happen to Israel? Well, that's a topic for a whole other presentation, and Ezekiel 38 does go into detail of that. The prophecies of Ezekiel continue in chapter 38 and also 39, 40 and on, and they describe how God is going to save his nation, the nation to whom he gave promises all those years ago to Abraham. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land. 
So we've seen that fulfilled. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. That's been fulfilled. But the bit that hasn't been fulfilled is one king shall be king to them all. God is going to save Israel from this confederacy of nations that's going to come against it. And that will usher in a time when one king is going to be king to them all. And we believe that this will be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was born to be a king. Here's the words of Luke chapter 1. He, that is Jesus Christ, shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto Jesus the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. So the Bible teaches, not not just in these verses, in, in many, many verses, that Jesus is going to be king over the kingdom of God. And that the Jews will, will, will finally inherit that land of Israel forever, as promised to Abraham. The Lord said unto Abraham, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, north, south, east, and west, all the land which thou seest. To thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. It's going to happen. The Bible offers a wonderful hope to us as well, a hope of eternal life. We can also inherit the land of Israel forever by being a part of the spiritual seed of Abraham. So the Christadelphians would love to share with you more about our hope. And yeah, we invite you to get in touch with us. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.